the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is, as the announcer said, the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I am going to be closing the book of Amos, one of the minor prophets. Ooh, really a hard book. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Thankfully, it ends with some grace tonight, but uh, that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. But uh, you can also join us. We've always got plenty of room on a Wednesday night. Uh, And then, of course, tomorrow being Thursday, it will be the date day edition of the program. Paula will be live in studio. And uh, that's something that you look forward to always. That that show is always the most popular show. People always comment about that. Oh, we listen to you all the time. I love when Paula's on the air. So uh, that's tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Well, let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. The first one is from Valerie. Um, Pastor Ron, what are some modern-day idols that we follow um, Valerie, there's tons and tons of them. You know, it doesn't have to be statues or things that we fashion or form with our hands. Uh, we have all kinds of modern day idols, careers, money, hobbies, um, uh, families, anything that we put uh, in a place of priority over Jesus Christ is an idol. And we know how God feels about idols, so there are lots and lots of idols. Let me give you one that's never popular when I say it, but, you know, we have uh, ladies all the time be praying for babies, and then the baby comes, and then they just out of church forever. When I say forever, I'm using it uh, exaggerating. But um, it's like, well, you're not going to take care of my baby. I've had men who say, well, God gave me a business, so I I can't go to church. I've got to work the business. That business has become an idol. We know that to Abraham... Uh, Isaac became an idol. That was the nature of the test when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac uh, on the altar. So uh, an idol is anything that we put ahead in a priority basis, anything that we put ahead of Jesus Christ. Again, jobs, careers, uh, the pursuit of money, relationships. Um, you know, we fall in love with people and, and Jesus takes a back seat. That becomes a modern day idol. So, Valerie, there are a lot of them. We deal with them 
uh, all the time in counseling with people. And the decision has to be made is who is or what is the most important thing to you? And if the answer for a Christian is anything other than Jesus Christ, well, then there's idol worship in their lives. And the Holy Spirit is going to be faithful to to put you in a situation where you, too, just like Abraham had to, you, too, have to make a choice. And that choice is always going to cost you something. And the question is, do you have enough faith to believe that by putting Jesus first, and I'll quote his words, all these other things will be added unto you? So, Valerie, I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much. Here's a question from Carlos. He says, um, how do you read Matthew sixteen twenty eight and still accept the Bible as without error? Well, let me read Matthew sixteen twenty eight. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, Carlos, whenever you see that in the gospel accounts, the very next event is the transfiguration. Now, we need to remember that verse and chapter distinctions uh, are not inspired. And so when Jesus said that, uh, it is true that Peter, James, and John, they would be the sum of those who will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It was when Jesus was transfigured before their very eyes. So there was uh, nothing that would cause anybody to doubt the veracity of the Bible. But uh, if you read that and you're thinking uh, that Jesus is going to come in all of his glory and they died so it didn't happen, you're reading the passage of Scripture out of context. So Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's what follows immediately following this statement. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured before their very eyes. It's an amazing thing. You know, one of the things, Carlos, about the transfiguration, uh, particularly for uh, John and Peter, we, we remember that James was the first of the apostles who were martyred for their faith, um, or was martyred for his faith. Um, we know that um, um, the transfiguration um, affected Peter and John immensely for the remainder of their lives. John writes, what we have seen and what we have touched. And Peter talks about that, that, that moment on that mountain, he said, when all of that changed everything for them. So they did see the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. It wasn't for a long time, but they did see it. Thank you for the question. Here is an anonymous question. Most of my family and friends are atheists. They never take me seriously when I talk about God. What can I do better? Anonymous, the only thing that you can do, obviously we can pray, but, but, but that's a given. Other than that, the one thing you can do, and it's the only thing, you can't persuade anybody. This has to be the Holy Spirit responding to a seeking heart. And if your family and friends are looking for um, 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 the real God, um, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, uh, the Holy Spirit will take care of it. Here's what you can do. You need to live your life sold out for Jesus. You need to live a completely uncompromised life so that they can see your light shine. That's why Jesus said, uh, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What people need to see, especially what you describe as atheists, um, what they need to see is that Jesus, your Jesus, is real, that he's had an impact in your life, that he's changed things as they see you change, transforming literally before their eyes, they're going to have questions. Why are you like this? What happened to you? They're going to see your joy. Your light is going to emanate. And um, and at, at some point, there will be an appointment the Holy Spirit will construct. And you'll have an opportunity to share with them. But one of the most important things, this is true for every believer, it's our responsibility to live that life in the light so everybody else can see so that nobody can doubt what God has done in you, that it is genuine and sincere. And um, when the time is right, the Holy Spirit will prompt them to um, talk with you. So I hope that makes sense.
sins to you. Here is a question from John from our email inbox. Uh, He says, I understand that you have an academy at your church and that you require parents of students to attend church services. Aren't they already a part of your church body? Why the requirement? John, no, our church, our academy rather, our school, has never been just for for saved kids or kids from saved families. Um, In fact, it's it's, um, our intention, it, it was our stated purpose to attract kids from unsaved families uh, because we want to share the gospel. So it's an evangelistic school. Uh, The kids have chapel every day. They have Bible class every day in addition to their regular core subjects. And um, we require the parents to attend the church services uh, because um, uh, we want them to know who we are, what we teach, and obviously we want unsaved people to get saved. So that's what we do. But it's never been our intention to have a, a safe place for the kids. We want to teach them uh, to deal with and share with unbelievers. At the same time, we want unbelievers to be able to come in and enjoy what we call the common grace of God and um, and and benefit as a result. Now, one of the great things about this, John, is that most of the time, and when I say most of the time, I'm going to throw out a dumb number because I don't have any scientific surveys, but most of the time, probably 80% of the time, those kids end up getting saved. Their families see the change, and their families come, and, and often they will make a commitment to Jesus Christ as well. Um, it, it's just wonderful, wonderful dynamic to watch. But um, no, the, the, the ones that are not a part of our church family, uh, we acquire them to attend two services per month, and that's either a Wednesday, a Friday, or a Sunday service, not the smaller services or the smaller Bible studies, not that we don't think they're important, but we want them to see what body life is really all about. So that's why we have the requirement, and for 25 years, John, it's worked out very, very well from us for us. Uh, we probably have um, new kids, unbelieving kids, or kids from unbelieving families, um, new ones coming in every single year, um, probably five, six different kids every year. Obviously, we have a limit on space, so our school has only 135 kids in it because we can't fit any more in now. Now, in our new building, we'll be able to fit more, and we're looking forward to that. But the reality is that, um, you know, we have a lot of siblings and and, and uh, uh, even even children now of alumni, uh, and, and they want to get in as well. So um, we have to, unfortunately, keep the numbers of kids smaller simply because we don't have any space. So you can pray for us when that changes, John. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Brian says, Pastor, will Judas be seated on one of the twelve thrones in heaven? Um, Matthew nineteen is where Jesus said that they'll be seated on the twelve thrones. No, Judas isn't one of them. Judas is not a believer. Was never a believer. Jesus called him the son of perdition from the beginning. Jesus said of Judas that it would be better if he was never born, uh, and so he will not be on one of the 12 thrones in heaven. Um, Judas will um, be in torment. He's been suffering torment now for nearly 2,000 years. Brian, uh, I believe that Matthias, the one that was chosen by Lot just before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I believe he will be the one who takes Judas's place. That's actually what the narrative says, um, that that, uh, one must take his place. They were fulfilling prophetic scripture. And I think Matthias will be on the throne that Judas could have been on, but wasn't on. You know, people have a hard time with Judas uh, being in heaven. Actually, Peter and and John, I said earlier that their lives were characterized by um, this overwhelming sense of awe at the transformation. Transfiguration is a better word. Um, But um, they, they both of their lives were impacted forever by the betrayal of of Jesus by Judas. They didn't see it coming. 
John even writes about it. They went out from us because they never really belonged to us. So uh, the apostles will be seated on the 12 thrones along with the 12 patriarchs. Uh, They'll have their own set of thrones. And these are lesser thrones, by the way. Jesus' big throne is the throne. Uh, But um, um, I believe Matthias will be the other one. I've had people say, well, I think Paul is the other one. Believe me, Paul has a very special place in heaven. I think along with King David, you remember when John and James put their mother up to coming to Jesus and asking uh, whether or not uh, their sons could, could, would you give my sons a place on your left and on your right when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, those places are already taken. They're not mine to give. And I, I think they're taken. David is called Israel's prince in the later chapters of Ezekiel. And I think the other throne uh, is going to belong to the Apostle Paul, a very special ministry that he had. So good question. Thanks very, very much. Melissa says, um, can you please explain the narrow and wide roads? I think I get it, but it seems like Jesus is saying the road to heaven is hard to find. Um, Melissa, you get it. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, this is a relative or a comparative uh, illustration. So when, when you say the road to heaven is hard to find, it's not that it's hard to find. Jesus makes it clear that he is the way. Uh, but it's uh, a, a road that's refused. People like going with the flow. Uh, Paul and I were on the freeway um, the other day, and in fact, two days in a row, uh, and, and it was just unbelievable traffic right here on 35 near where we are. And we were going so slow and we got so blocked in with trucks, big trucks all around us. I felt like I was in a little corridor. And uh, all I could think was, well, well, that's what the, the wide or the broad road is going to be like. Uh, everybody's going to be there. It's like sitting in traffic with nowhere to go, being tormented the whole time. Um, but But that's the road that's crowded because... That's the road that people choose. We like options. We want to do what we want. We don't want to submit to the authority of our Lord. And, um, and, and the result is we make bad choices, and that's the road, Jesus said, that leads to destruction. The narrow road, and I don't think it's narrow in a sense of space, uh, like in that corridor between those trucks. I think it's narrow uh, comparatively in the sense that while one road has all the people going on it, the other road we can travel freely. You know, when we broke out of that traffic jam, Paula said, this is what a freeway is supposed to be like, free. Well, that's what the narrow road is going to be like. We're going to have plenty of space. It's going to be free. It is the road that leads to heaven with Jesus forever and ever. And the reason that people reject it is because they don't want to follow the rules. They don't want to obey the Lord. They don't want to surrender control of their lives. Um, But the reality, and it's a stark reality, uh, Melissa, the reality is that that uh, there are going to be way, 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 way more people who spend eternity in hell than who spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And it's because they chose it. Because they chose it. It's stunning to me that even Christians will ask, well, how could a loving God send someone to hell? God does everything that he can to make getting to hell difficult. He does everything that he can it's almost as though Jesus is saying, look, you can go to hell, but you go over my dead, and I would add in risen body. I mean, he's made it so clear. But the reality is we just don't want to give up control of our lives. We don't want to stop sinning. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. And the result of that, of course, is eternal destruction. So, Melissa, good question. Thank you. Uh, and keep reading your Bible. You got it. Clay says, I heard a pastor on local radio say that being cremated is a sin. I've heard you say cremation is okay. What's the truth? Um, Clay, um, there's no place in the Bible that would indicate that being cremated is a sin. And when we start giving our opinions about things and and, and go above and beyond what the Bible says, um, then we're really, really, especially as it relates to sin, uh, then we become legalists kind of shoving our views down people's throats. Now, being cremated, I know how it could be a sin. Bodies have been burned from the beginning of time. Bodies have been put in the ocean. 
Uh, bodies have been buried. You know, being cremated does in 39 minutes what being in the ground for 39 years does. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And God would have no problem with our physical resurrected bodies. Um, he who created us from nothing has no problem. And uh, if if I could have a conversation with that pastor, I would ask him, well, what's the basis for saying that? And there's there's absolutely no basis at all. Um, Clay, I, I, I'm personally going to be cremated, Paula and I. We made that decision because we think it's um, ridiculous to spend a bunch of money on disposing of this old tent. These bodies that we have now, they're just temporary houses for the real you and the real me. And the minute this body gives out, in fact, that that nanosecond before this body gives out, there's an angel who's going to be there. He's going to take you into the presence of the Lord. The carcass that we leave behind, well, well, it means nothing to us. So what's the point? What's the purpose? And uh, again, the the horrific amount of money that people spend, even going into debt, um, because we're superstitious about death, makes no sense. So, Clay, um, cremation is not a sin. Uh, God has been... Uh, gathering his people to himself, regardless of the way they die. Uh, God can do anything. Here's a question from Trey. Should I cut off family members or friends who are following false teachers? Trey never cut people off. I mean, if they're sinning willfully and and uh, they're they're trying to drag you into sin, then as Hebrew says, we have to throw off everything that hinders. Uh, but no, family members, they're, they're the object of your ministry. Now, don't argue with them. Tell them the truth. You're following a false teacher. And if you ever really want to really dig into your Bible, I'll show you where he's teaching false. There was a, a man at the gym years ago, and, and he was a great guy. I mean, he's a wonderful man, and, and I'm certain saved. But he was a follower of the prosperity gospel, and one day he was at the gym on the treadmill, and he was listening to a, a cassette. That's how long ago it was. He was listening to a cassette, and, and I said, uh, so what are you listening to? He said, oh, I'm listening to one of God's best, Kenneth Copeland. And I gave him that look. I said, oh, my goodness. Why would you listen to him? And he says, well, you're not going to try to convince me that he's a false teacher. And I said, I shouldn't have to convince you. You know what the Bible says. You're responsible for teaching others. And that conversation didn't go very far. But I would never cut him off. I would always want access. So don't cut him off. Just ask them questions. Live your life. I can promise you one thing, Trey. People that are following false teachers, the fruit in their life is going to be bad fruit. Um, Carnal fruit, bad fruit. Um, If you demonstrate in their presence the good fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control from Galatians chapter 5, if you demonstrate that good fruit, then they're going to be able to visibly see the difference between the life they're living and the life you're living. And the Holy Spirit will use that. Now, I know real believers who are in ministries that are false teaching ministries, especially the prosperity gospel. There are people that don't study their Bible. Uh, there are people that want to be rich or the people that, that want to be healthy. And they find somebody who will tell them they can. Uh, Trey, I myself was in that situation when right after I got saved, I had sinned so badly. I needed money so desperately. And there was a guy, the devil's always got his guy there, who was telling me, hey, come to church with me. My pastor will teach you that, that God wants us to be rich. And all we have to do is have enough faith. And uh, I wasted probably a year uh, hoping that he was true. Uh, and, and I knew it wasn't true instinctively, the the, the discernment that the Lord gave me. Um, but it just, I, I didn't want to cast off that hope. Um, and then I found out that I was being lied to. So it's important that those people stay in your lives. It's It's really important that you don't just cut them off. Because if you do, 
uh, they're not going to have anybody who loves them enough to tell them the truth. Don't ever compromise. Don't ever suggest that what they're listening to is good. Um, but just tell them to watch your life and honestly look at their lives and see what happens. Now, we've got just a little over a minute to go, and I don't have anybody on the line. So let me let me tell another uh, quick story. Uh, I remember in that prosperity movement uh, knowing that, that there was just something wrong. I came out of a, a car dealership background. I was I used to own a, a car dealership. And, um, um, you know, I started all the way up from sales to, to owning a dealership. And um, in the process, uh, I knew what was true. I knew it was a scam. But because I didn't want to believe it, I wanted to hold on to that hope. I told you I wasted about a year. But I'll tell you, when I decided, when I, I said, look, I know that's not true, I'm going to go another way. And by the way, the, 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 the book that you, the Lord used to, uh, to deliver me from that was a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And it just stunned me. I remember going home and telling Paula, Paula, we got a lot to talk about because what we've been being taught isn't true. And, and from that moment, it was like there was just hope, hope, overwhelming hope and joy coming to our lives. Um, so keep them in your life is the point. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday program. Phones have been quiet. We love your calls and comments. 340-9585. Here's a question from Sean. If I let a lapse in faith cause me to sin... How can I be sure God will restore me completely? Sean, two things. One, you got to believe what the Word says. I know the enemy wants to condemn, and he will heap all kinds of condemnation on you, um, but, but you got to make a decision. Do I believe what the Word says? If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and purify me from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9 do you believe that? If you believe it, then you have to accept forgiveness. In the restoration, the only way God restores people is completely. Now, there are consequences to our sin, and he doesn't cause the consequences to go away. But you've got to decide whether or not you believe what the Word says. Secondly, and this is, I think, even more important for you, Sean, whenever... I hear an excuse for sin, like, well, I had a lapse of faith. That's like saying, well, you know, I had a boo-boo or made a mistake. No, you've got to be real with God about your sin, about what led to it. You've got to be real with God about um, the fact that you, you sinned because you wanted to. You may in your mind say, but I don't want to do it. Well, if you sinned, it was because you made that choice to sin. And you've got to accept responsibility for that sin. You can't blame it on some intangible, like a lapse in faith. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I sinned against you. I don't want to do that anymore. And remember, Sean, Galatians says that God will not be mocked. He knows who are his. And he knows when we approach him if we're playing games with him. So just be real with the Lord. I did this. I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway, and I'm sorry, and I don't want to do it again. And you have the promise in the Word of God that you will be restored from all unrighteousness, and um, your right standing with the Lord will be back instantly, and all you have to do is receive it. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy just receive it, and then your faith can be utilized to say, okay, Lord, you said it, I believe it. Thank you for the question. 
Elaine says, Pastor Ron, what is your opinion of the He Gets Us campaign in the Super Bowl? Elaine, I really don't have an opinion. Um, I've been asked that question several times. And the reason I don't have an opinion is because I don't know the hearts of the people behind it. Uh, It's kind of vague. I've been told that the SBC is sort of behind the campaign, um, but but I don't know that for fact. But but without knowing what the um, the heart of the people is, what the motive of the people who are paying for the ads is, um, I, I won't be able to evaluate the message. You know, there's nothing wrong at face value with the the ads that I saw, and this is the second year of the Super Bowl that I've seen them personally. Uh, and there's nothing wrong. Jesus washing feet, Jesus reaching out to sinners. Now, a lot of Christians will look at those ads and say, well, well, they're condoning homosexuality. They're condoning um, this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And and they, the ads never say that. You know, if, if their Jesus is the Jesus that said to the woman caught in adultery, now go and sin no more. Or if their Jesus is the same Jesus who went to the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda and he went out and found him later and said, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. If that's their Jesus, then those are wonderful ads. But I can't judge them and neither, Elaine, should any of us as Christians judge them because we don't know what their hearts are. We don't know what their motives are. So all we can do is guess. I can say this. I can say that multiplied millions of people saw ads about Jesus Christ. That's never bad. And probably the people that we're most worried about, those who are sinners, um, probably they wouldn't get the nuance of the ad campaign anyway. So is it an effective ad campaign? I don't know. It's not my money. It was $7.5 million for a 30-second spot. Um, a lot of Christians say, well, that money could have been used for the poor. Uh, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Uh, we've got to give the benefit of the doubt to the people until we know for certain otherwise. So beyond that, I, there's no opinion at all. And I think, Elaine, this is an area where we ought to reserve our opinion Uh, because unless you know the people behind it and you've talked to them about what their motives are, we never know for sure. I can say this. Remember, let me say this. Jesus said, he who is not against me is with me. And I think it's clear that they're not against Jesus. So we need to be very careful in condemning them or judging them because we see something that maybe they didn't intend. So I, that's the best I can do, Elaine. Thank you for the question. Les says, when we are told to pray in the Spirit at all times, does that mean praying in tongues? No, Les, not at all. There's no reference at all to the gift of tongues in that. When we're to pray in the Spirit at all times, it means to pray in the will of God. It means to pray for the glory of God. Uh, Jesus said, thy will, not my will be done. So to pray in the Spirit means uh, we pray with the heart of thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul wrote that with thanksgiving we can make our requests known to God. We're to pray for the will of God, and we're to pray from genuine and sincere hearts always. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. The idea that some um, charismatics or Pentecostals hold to that it means to pray in tongues. Uh, there's no warrant for that, and it certainly uh, is uh, way, way, way out of the context of the passage of Scripture. So pray in the Spirit at all times, uh, and we do that simply by being with Jesus. Thank you, Les. Jack wants to know, Pastor, how can I reconcile someone who doesn't believe the Bible is inerrant or the Word of God with being saved. You know, Jack, you don't have to reconcile whether or not they're saved. You don't have to know that. In fact, I would say there's no way you can know it. Jesus knows, and we can rest in that. So here's what you would do. Pray for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and their understanding to the the value of this inerrant, infallible, uh, perfect Word of God. Um, 
You can look at the fruit of their lives, and you can make a, a judgment about the behavior in their life. But uh, the reality, Jack, is that people that don't uh, believe that the Word of God is the inerrant Word of God, uh, the fruit coming from their lives is not good fruit. It's that simple. But remember, you don't have to judge whether or not they're saved. In fact, we're told not to judge somebody's eternal destination. Um, So all you can do is demonstrate that inerrancy, your firm stand that the Bible is the Word of God, um, has affected you and changed your life so that those other people can see that you have something that they don't. Um, Jack, it's really hard to be a Christian if you don't have a guideline in the Bible we know is God's word. So are they saved? Jesus knows I don't need to know and you don't need to know. And I think it's best if we stop thinking in those terms. All we have to do is watch their lives. Are they producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Believe it or not, Jack, there are going to be some people in heaven who really didn't understand inerrancy or the infallibility of the word. You say, how are they going to get that? Well, by believing in the real Jesus Christ. So, Jack, I hope that answers your question. We need to be way, 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 way less judgmental than we are. Faith says, will Christians who haven't asked for forgiveness for some sins be raptured or left behind? Faith, when the rapture happens... I always pause there because I think when I say that, maybe the rapture will happen right then. But when the rapture happens, everybody who is a born-again Christian is going to go. So if they sinned and they didn't ask for forgiveness, if they sinned and their heart was was a little hard, um, uh, they're still born-again Christians. When we're justified, um, just as if we'd never sinned, all of our sins, past, present, and future sins are forgiven. And when Jesus comes for his church, his bride, that's going to be everybody who is born again. So um, should we keep short accounts with the Lord? Of course we should. Uh, Should we confess our sins regularly? Of course we should. And quickly, by the way. Um, But um, having an unconfessed sin when the rapture happens won't keep that Christian uh, here on earth to face the great tribulation. His blood cleanses us from all sin. So faith, they'll be taken with the rest of us. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Hope. I know that both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. I know both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who believe in Jesus, so why won't they be saved? Uh, I get a lot of questions about Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, so this must be um, a response to one of my answers. Um, Jesus is the one who saves us. And hope the Mormon Jesus and the Jehovah's Witness Jesus is not the Jesus that you know. Not Jesus of Nazareth. Not the Jesus who created all things, who said, let there be light, and there was. Their Jesus is not Almighty God, Their Jesus is a creation of God which instantly strips him of his ability to save. So here's the thing. You've got to have the right Jesus because if you don't have the right Jesus, then um, you're going to stand before the Lord and account for your own sins and be responsible. Jesus Christ of the Bible, he's the one, the only way to the Father in heaven. And the Mormon Um, Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, sort of the the good brother uh, as opposed to the bad brother. They're sort of equal opposites. And the the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, Michael the Archangel, uh, and and, uh, of course neither of them believe that Jesus is creator God in spite of what the Gospel of John clearly says, in spite of what Genesis clearly says, in the beginning, God. So that's... That's the reason. Here is a question. This one is from JT. Well, what is your take on modern therapy techniques dealing with chemical imbalances in the brain? 
Well, I understand that everything you need is in the Bible. I do not think that all science of the human brain should be disregarded. I believe that God can reveal himself to us through science. Uh, And then parenthetically, he writes, just look at nature. A friend of mine disagrees with a biblical approach. Um, JT, um, I think brains get sick, just like bodies get sick. And if a brain is sick, then medication can help heal that or at least manage or govern that sickness, just like medication can help heal or control a physical illness in another part of your body. So um, I think if you need um, medication to function in a way that honors the Lord, then you ought to take, in fact, I'll say it more strongly, you're obligated to God. Do all things as unto the Lord. You're obligated, God, to take that medication. Um, I'll give an example of somebody who has... Um, uh, manic depression or bipolar disorder. Um, there are medications that level things out, and um, um, you know, in in a, in a manic state, uh, we can do things that dishonor the Lord. And so, what we want to do is do everything that we can to to control that, so that we don't dishonor the Lord. So those medications are okay. Now, as I say this, I want to make it clear that we live in the most over-medicated society, I think, in the history of the world. And medication is prescribed um, without really even thinking these days. And I've seen people so over-medicated, and they use that sort of as an excuse uh, to be the way they are. So here's what we always recommend here at Calvary Chapel. Um, If you're having some problems, go get a physical. But before you start taking medication uh, for the mind, um, then, then, then pray, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I think the Holy Spirit will give clear direction to a believer. And, and in that case, uh, we do what the Lord says. Uh, I have seen both instances. I've seen people whose lives became very fruitful on medication. I've seen other people who were delivered from their, uh, their, their brain illness. And I use that as a, as a general term. Um, by the Lord. And, and uh, that happens sometimes. Most of the time, um, it does not happen. But, but there's nothing wrong, nothing sinful or lacking in faith uh, with taking medication, JT. If you need it, take it and then use your um, controlled state to honor the Lord. One other comment, you said modern therapy techniques. Uh, we're pretty much, I'm pretty much opposed to modern therapy techniques because those techniques are based on um, founding fathers of psychology or psychiatry. All of those men are godless men, men like Jung and Skinner, uh, Freud. Um, 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 I mean, they, they live horrible, godless lives. And, and uh, you know, the foundation that, that they laid for modern psychology uh, is, is, uh, is evil. So I, I, I don't think we ought to take into account anything that comes from that kind of a source. But as it, terms, it goes to uh, medication, um, if you need to take it and it helps you honor the Lord, then you are obligated to do so. Thank you, JT. I appreciate that question. Here is a question to our studio just now, called in from Micah in New Brunfels. Why are there so many religions in the world, and is there one that's better than the others? Well, um, Michael, there are a lot of religions in the world because man instinctively is looking for God. Even if we don't know it or even if we deny it, humans instinctively look for God. I believe that we are all created with a God-sized hole in our hearts. And, and there's always this longing. If you don't ascribe to that, just talk to a little boy, a little girl about Jesus. They never argue with you. They know. We have to unteach them that instinct. And that's what happens in the world that we live in. But, but religion is uh, anathema to God. And when I say that, um, religion separates from God. Let me give you a definition, a working definition of religion, Michael. Religion is man doing the best he can to reach up to God. 
Jesus, on the other hand, asked for a relationship. And in order to do that, he reached down to us. You see, we can't reach high enough. We can't do enough good, nor can we be good enough. And religious ritual um, gives us the opportunity to say, well, I'm doing these good things. I'm going to church or I'm, uh, I've been baptized or I'm um, con- confessing my sins. I'm taking the Mass or the Eucharist. Um, but, but if your life is clothed with evil, God doesn't want any of those things. In fact, tonight I'm teaching uh, the closing, the, the prophecy of Amos in the Old Testament. Isaiah says the same thing. God says, I hate your religion. And he says it specifically. I hate your festivals. I hate your feasts, your Sabbath observations. I hate those things. The reason he hates them is because our hearts are, 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 are filthy before the Lord. So, Michael, religion doesn't help anybody do anything. Jesus is the answer. And you're asking this question, Michael, I'm going to assume that you're not a born-again believer. Why is Jesus the best? Because he's told us the truth. Jesus was a real person. He really lived. He really died. And he really didn't stay dead. We have overwhelming evidence for that. People say, well, just faith to believe it. No, it's faith based on evidence. And the evidence is overwhelming. And because he didn't stay dead, then we know that what he told us is the truth. And he said he's the only way to the Father in heaven. That's why Christianity, and when I say Christianity, I mean specifically being a born-again Christian. That's the right way. That's how we know it's better than all the others. Let me go one step further, Michael. Every other religion, every other religion except being a born-again Christianity is a false religion, is a lie, and thus is of the devil. It's used to deceive, to trick. And what we've got to realize is that Jesus alone opens the door to heaven. Now, Michael, if you're listening Let me tell you how you can find Jesus. Call out for him. Ask him to show you your heart. Repent of your sins. That means you've got to be honest enough to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I need to be forgiven. And then ask him. And then simply say, Jesus, I need your help. Come into my heart. I surrender my life to you. And at that moment, if you meant it, if you were genuinely sincere and you're really ready to walk away from sin and walk toward Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will come in you and, Michael, everything in your life is going to change. Some of it, most of it, will change quickly. Some of it you'll want to hold on to a little bit because old habits are hard to break. But the more you open your hands and let go of all of those things the faster the road to freedom and joy and peace. And you'll find that road. Jesus is the way. And Michael, he loves you, and he proved it. Again, this is historical fact. He proved it by dying on a cross. In other words, he took the punishment your sins deserved so that he could justify you before a holy God. So, Michael, I hope that answers your question, and I'm sure there's lots and lots of people praying for you now. Let me see if I have time for one more question. I think I do. Um, Dana wants us to know, is it okay to call God Allah? I asked because a recent convert from Islam, Islam to Christ still uses Allah. Well, Allah is the Arabic word for God, and uh, Dana, it depends on the... Um, the heart and the motive of the one who's calling out. Now, you say this is a recent convert from Islam to Christ. If they've accepted Jesus Christ, if they've renounced being a Muslim, um, then God will change their speech habits. Um, You know, we say, Christians all the time will talk to God instead of talking to Jesus. Uh, I think uh, as you get more and more intimate with the Lord, you're going to be more and more intimate with and through Jesus Christ. 
So um, if if that's the situation, um, introduce them to Jesus. In your conversation uh, with this person, um, talk about Jesus in, in, like he's your friend. And that's something the Holy Spirit will really use to convince them. It's, it's all about Jesus Christ. Allah, the Muslim Allah, is not Father God. Make that clear to this person. But don't get all bound up by the words that this current recent convert is using. Just talk to him about your Jesus. I think I have time for one more. Uh, Tammy says, is a sin to use, fictitious name, to use fictitious names when we're online? No, Tammy, it's not a sin. Uh, there's a lot of weirdos online and stalkers and all kinds of things. So, no, it's not a sin to use fictitious names or post anonymously. But I would ask you to consider why you're online at all. Why you are are spending your time doing that rather than spending your time getting to know Jesus better? Um, just just protect your time, Tammy. Protect your time. It's not a sin, but what you Paul says: all, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I would ask you, Tammy, and everybody else out there, to be honest and say: Is my time online beneficial? Is it bringing me closer to the Lord? Hey, that's all for today. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching, closing the book of Amos. Paula will be live in studio tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.